Every day, I make mistakes. I say the wrong words in haste. I do the wrong things. My, my words and my actions have harmed others. I haven't always put the best construction on what others have said or on their actions. Instead, I've tried to find fault and justify my own opinion. Even sometimes subconsciously, I do things that I know either won't help or might hurt others simply so I can look better. When it comes down to it, when you strip away the smooth talk, the intentions, the the passion, when you strip away the intelligence, I am unlovable. This is my confession. I don't deserve your honor or respect. I don't deserve your praise. I am at my deepest level, broken, sinful, selfish, and ashamed. I have not done the right thing. I have not always put the Lord first in my life. I have not always honored him as I should. I have not always bowed before his lordship. Instead, sometimes I have tried to act as a brutal tyrant of my own little kingdom. I'd like to say it wasn't me, but it was. I'd like to say I will do better and I, ha- and I can do better, but I fail and I fall into sin again and again and again. Each and every one of us, every day, though we struggle and strive, we fall short. We give in to sins and temptations. We worship false gods and we say the wrong things. We just don't measure up, not even to our own standard, not to mention God's standard of perfection. And if we're honest about our actions, then we know that what we deserve is punishment and death, condemnations for failing to live up to what God has asked of us. See, in, John, or in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and as it says in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, the cost of sin, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's hard to hear. You see, as I was preparing for this message this past week, I like to read a little bit earlier in the text to try and get context for what we're talking about. And so I was reading earlier in Jeremiah chapters 21 through 24 in particular, and God speaks to the people. And he speaks a message to the leaders of the nation of Israel. He speaks a message to the prophets and the priests, the the religious leaders, and to the very everyday people of the kingdom. And it's a message of condemnation. Not one of you is righteous. Not one of you has followed my commands. Not one of you has done what I have asked. Each and every one of you have fallen short. You are unlovable. You're not deserving of the grace and the mercy. And as I was reading through that, the words of our confession that we spoke earlier came into my mind. I have sinned in thought, in word, and in deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved God with my whole heart, and I have not loved you, my neighbors, my congregation, as myself. I justly deserve God's temporal, his present, and his eternal punishment. 
when the God who sees all and knows all sees my broken, callous, sinful, messy heart, my deepest and darkest desires, he must be appalled. He must be disgusted. I am, I am broken and I am messy and I am not worthy of God's grace. And I cannot fix myself. I cannot save myself. I am unlovable and yet Christ came for me in love. I am not deserving of grace and yet Christ loved me unto death so that I might receive his grace. God came for me, came for you. As I think about this, the sermon hymn, my song is love unknown, some of those words came into my mind and I think they speak well of my life. Sometimes I strew his way and his sweet praises sing, resounding all the day, hosannas to my king. But then I hear his commands and I see his laws and the demands and I see my own sin. Then crucify is all my breath and for his death I thirst and cry. I live in the tension between the God I long to praise for his beauty, for his majesty, for his greatness, and knowing the cost of my sin and how broken and how far short I fall. In the novel Silence by Endo Shusaku, which is also now a movie by Martin Scorsese, it's about these missionaries who go into Japan in the 16th century after hundreds of thousands of Christians have been martyred. And they go in and there hasn't been a priest there for a long time and they're serving these Japanese Christians who are in hiding, who are broken, who are messy, who are weak, who are miserable and corrupt. And the priest has this haunting line. Jesus did not die for the beautiful and the good. It's easy enough to die for the beautiful and the good. The hard thing is to die for the miserable and the corrupt. People like me, people like you, each and every one of us. This past, a few months ago, I was watching uh, the late night comedy shows and they were talking about what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with our culture, and they came back to the same point that always seems to be made, that, that what's wrong is that we don't have enough faith in ourselves. We don't believe in ourselves enough. And then one of the comedians made this point. The problem we have is not that we don't have enough faith in ourselves, but that we have far too much faith in ourselves. And if you watch some of the things that people in our culture do, it's easy to believe what he's saying. You see, I think he's exactly right. He wasn't trying to make a theological point, but he made it all the same. We don't take our sinfulness, our brokenness, our selfishness serious enough. See, when we look at the world and we see all the problems, we speak from our own perspective. We think, well, they're the problem, or this person's causing all my issues, or, or this is what's wrong with the world. But according to Scripture, what's wrong with the world then is ourself and sin and the brokenness that infects every atom of all of creation. Everything is corrupted and broken. Everything needs something to change it, to fix it, to make it better. And more faith in ourselves isn't going to fix the problem if we're the problem. 
What we need is something, someone outside of ourselves to come to us, to do something for us, to change us. See, God knows this. He sees this. He sees our situation, and God acts. God does something about our situation. He sees that we are unlovable, that we are loveless, and he comes to us in love to change us. Listen again to the words from Jeremiah chapter 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. God knows our situation and he doesn't wait for us to make ourselves lovable. He doesn't wait for us to fix ourselves or to rise up to him because he knows we could never do it. And so he takes matters into his own hands and he comes down, he condescends, he comes down from his throne and takes on flesh to be one of us so that he might rewrite our lives, renew our hearts, make us into something new so that instead of the sin and condemnation seeking over our lives, we hear grace and mercy, forgiveness and pardon, so that we would be made into a new kind of person. See, the story of God, the story of Scripture, is a love story. And it's from creation to the cross to the crown. It's a story of a loving God who relentlessly pursues an unlovable people, until he captures their heart. He relentlessly pursues us until we come back to him in faith, until we receive what he would give to us. He continues to seek after us, even though we're broken, even though we're messy, even though we're undeserving. God continues to pursue us, and he makes us new. He comes to us in the waters of baptism and gives us a new heart, writes his law upon us, He covers us in his grace and says he will remember our sins no more. Our iniquity, our shame, our guilt has been washed away in those waters. And he writes a new story over us. He creates something new within us by his word, by his love, by his passion, by taking on flesh in his son and redeeming us. See, Luther tells us that each and every day we ought to make the sign of the cross in remembrance of our baptism. Because each and every day we turn back to those old sinful habits. Each and every day we struggle. And so each and every day we need to be reminded of God's grace and God's love. And we need to drown that old sinful Adam and come forth as a new creation, a new child of God whose identity is centered in what God has done. So the way that our lives are changed, that are changed by God's word, is by receiving him, by hearing these words that change us from unlovable to loved, from wicked to wonderful, from broken to healed, from forsaken to claimed in God's name. It all happens through receiving what Christ has done for us on the cross. Through his sacrifice, 
These are the words that God speaks over us. Loved, wonderful, healed, claimed. You are his. See, in those words from my song, is love unknown, come to us again. My Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die? God has declared you loved, forgiven, cleansed, pardoned. So if you feel and think about your own life the way I described, feeling about myself at the opening of this message, then know that God has spoken a better word over you in baptism. God has said something and declared something about you through these waters, through the precious blood of Christ that was shed for you. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are given a new heart and a new life, and God's law is written upon you. So you're changed, not because you have more faith in yourself, but because you put all of your faith into what Christ has accomplished for you. And that changes us so that we're not those broken people identified by nothing more than our guilt and our shame, but rather by God's love, by what he claims about us. And we are made new. In Jesus' name, amen.